Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host, Anastasia. Well, the good news is Mercury has gone direct. However, it won't be completely back in the clear for another 10 to 14 days. So we're waiting for that because it's been really rough with Mercury retrograde. Um, So for tonight, uh, this announcement, for those starseeds, walk-ins, and lightworkers that have been holding sacred information, whether you were born with it or simply walked in with your assignment, you may want to put yourself on notice for this coming November Starseed Quest. Information concerning Earth-to-Sky assignments and holding the way will be highlighted and distributed during the Pleiadian alignment in November. These aren't the only dates, as other celestial harmonics have been designed for future evolutionary codes of remembrance to be released. These cosmic dates have been designed for those who remember. Each time that a starseed comes to the quest, they are always monitored by our galactic family aboard the starship Bethlehem. When they monitor your cosmic bank account, Then, your soul maturity records reveal what cosmic opportunities would be available to you in the future. Because of your intent, alignment, and commitment to Starseed work on the planet, that's why you are invited to the Starseed Quest this November 17 through 20. It's a soul family reunion, and all you need is one galactic marking on your chart to be eligible. If you feel the call to come but don't know if you have the required markings, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com and we'll take a quick look for you. And if you have a friend who feels the call to attend with you, uh, we'd be happy to check their chart as well for those markings. Our very special guest this evening is Marina Petro who has been working independently in the field of art and intuitive counseling since 1977. She is widely known for the clarity and depth of her intuitive readings. Her clientele spans the U.S., Europe, Japan, and beyond. Marina functions as a catalyst to help her clients restore harmony to their lives. The value of her service is the ability to see into one's life and provide clear and useful guidance, information, and insight to the concerns and questions presented. She leads workshops and seminars in intuitive development, intuitive painting, and other healing modalities. Excuse me. In July of 1977, Marina discovered she was psychic. She experienced explosions of light and episodes of intense energies throughout her body. After these episodes, she emerged with a newfound spiritual knowledge given to her by higher beings. Her book, A Force of Light to Illuminate Your Journey, was telepathically transmitted to her from 1986 to 1991 by an unseen intelligence 
that referred to itself as an emissary for the divine source and, as the book's title reflects, a force of light. Each page is filled with wisdom, succinct guidance, spiritual teachings, healing, and prophecy for a new understanding of life as you know it. This book will awaken and illuminate your mind, heart, spirit, and consciousness. All you have to do is randomly choose a page, and the relevance to your current situation is really quite magical. Her book can be found on Amazon, and her website is marinapetro.com. That's M-A-R-I-N-A-P-E-T-R-O.com. At the top of the show... It's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest and hope that you won't hear elsewhere. And we'd like to thank Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. If you'd like to show your support of our show, please just click follow on our show page. And our main website, as you probably know, is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's Discovery of Star Markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of great manifestation power. You can find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you order that a week or two before your birthday, that would be enough time. But if you want a reading of that chart, please order at least two months ahead of your birthday. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia and her very uplifting Starseed News. Oh, good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. Great to Hi be there. with you. We're moving into autumn, and boy, I cannot wait till Mercury retrograde is done. Holy cow, this has been a tough one, has it not? It has been so rough. Unreal. It's just <laughs> I mean, unreal. Yeah. Oh, we're so dependent on technology now, there's no escaping it, so yikes. I mean, I can only, oh, never you mind. I'll be glad when it's done. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. well, it actually it actually went direct on Friday, but it takes two weeks at least to get yeah, back I mean, to yeah, yeah. the clear, you know, it's, in the clear. It's like this animal with lockjaw that's got me, you know, it just won't let go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right, it, here we are. On this day, 19th of September, 1893, I'll bet you didn't know this. This is fascinating. New Zealand became the first country to grant all women the right to vote. Really? Wow. 19th of September, 1893, New Zealand, the first country on planet Earth to grant all women the right to vote. I always knew I liked that place. And speaking of women, here is some breaking news about an injustice or, you know, a wrong set right many years later. There's been a giant leap for women in history Early lady astronomers, as they call them, have had asteroids named in their honor. Asteroids have been named after 19th century trailblazers Annie Maunder and Alice Everett, who have finally earned the due recognition for decades of unattributed work. It's quite the story. These women charted the stars for pitiful wages, like four pounds a month. 
They uh, shared their observations about the universe while they knew this would all be attributed to their male colleagues and often to their husbands. And the women themselves died in relative obscurity. Their scientific achievements, which were substantial, were unrecognized and completely overlooked. And like all female students at Cambridge University until 1948, this pair of women were not awarded degrees despite passing their examinations with honors. The Astronomy Royal realized that there was this pool of women coming out of Oxford that were highly talented and educated in mathematics, physics, and such, who could be hired cheaply. So they were hired as what they called lady computers, and they were allowed to chart the stars. So now in a tribute to these trailblazing astronomers, the two asteroids have been named for them, Maunder and Everett, and they're among the first women in the world that earned a living as professional astronomers without any recognition. Between the two of these women, one recorded the largest sunspot ever seen. She was instrumental in the development of television. Between them, they were astronomers, astrophotographers, engineers, and science communicators, and engineers. They uh, contributed to the field of optics. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. They were remarkable women. Now, these two women became friends when they were studying mathematics at a college at Cambridge in the 1880s. 80s. They were members of the British Astronomical Association. Uh, they had all of these uh, influential contacts. Their husbands were astronomers and uh, connected scientists who used the women uh, for much of the material for their discussions, their lectures and such. <laughs> they were extraordinary women who did extraordinary things, and they deserve their place up in the sky to asteroids named for these wonderful women from so many years ago. We really have come a very long way in a very short time. Just incredible. The things that we take for granted these days. I sometimes think we would benefit if we could be just a little more humble and think about just the things that we take for granted. Goodness. Well, right. earlier this year, yeah, when a doctor told this man he needed to get more active, he bought a metal detector. He decided that would be a good exercise. So he ventured out on a Norwegian island and quickly stumbled upon something that he thought was very, very strange. It was his first day with a metal detector. Hold your breath, everybody. I know you see it coming. Well, at first he thought he had discovered some old chocolate coins wrapped in gold foil. But in reality, this first-timer, this first-time metal detector guy, struck gold. He dug up nine engraved gold pendants, ten gold pearls, and three gold rings, all dating to the 6th century CE. Officials tell us this is the discovery that's first of its kind since the 1800s, and it is a wonderful example of beginner's luck. <laughs> they say this is the gold find of the century in Norway. The pendants and beads likely once made up an exceptionally splendid golden necklace, said an archaeologist at a Norwegian museum. The jewelry may have been crafted by skilled goldsmiths and worn by the most powerful individuals in that society. Now, we think he's rich? No, he's not. He's not going to make much money off that at all because Norwegian law dictates that objects older than 1537 and coins older than 1650 become state property. So conservators of the Museum of Archaeology are now cleaning the artifacts, which they hope to put on public display. However, 
the gentleman who decided to get some exercise by walking on the beach with his metal detector will receive a finder's fee. And he plans, he says, to continue his new and interesting hobby. (laughs) Uh, I've known people with metal detectors, and I tell you, they have great, great fun. I happen to love Liberty Dimes. Don't ask me why. But I like the American Liberty Dime. It's from way back when, during the war. And I've had friends, you know, I don't think they, I don't think they find anything nowadays. Obviously, this guy found a fortune. But um, anyway, I used to like it when a friend of mine would go uh, metal detecting and bring me home some Liberty Dimes. <laughs> you can find all kinds of fun things. So if you want some exercise, yeah, you might think about it. It's kind of fun. All right. Well, they have found what is the oddest thing. The first ever dog fox. It's the world's first confirmed dog-fox hybrid that was found in Brazil in the wilderness. How did they discover it? Well, it was hit by a car. It was taken oh. to a vet hospital for treatment, but the staff were puzzled. What is this we've got here? They couldn't decide whether it was a fox or a dog. <laughs> they had no idea. They had unusual characteristics. Some parts of the animal looked like a dog and some looked like fox. And so the scientists from the local universities got involved and they decided they had to do a gene sample to decide what kind of animal this was. Well, the study revealed that the animal's mother was a pompous fox and her father was a domestic dog of an unknown breed. It is the first recorded instance of a fox and a dog breeding, according to experts, at least as far as we know. So, that's interesting, a dog fox. There is a story here about animals that I tell you, I cannot give you the whole story. It's very long, so I had to shorten it for you, and I wish I could show you all the photographs and give you all the gritty details. There are uh, videos on this if you want to check it out. It's a video by a woman named Petra Janney, P-E-T-R-A-G-A-N-N-E-Y. And this woman says that despair solves nothing. She um, is a pilot. A little tiny Piper Cherokee plane, 1973. And um, she uses her plane for a very compassionate and beautiful way. She rescues dogs from shelters uh, that are about ready to put them to sleep. Um, She has flown dozens of flights to save dogs from being killed in overcrowded shelters. Now, I... Uh, I suppose I should be embarrassed to admit my ignorance, but, you know, the world is changing. Things move so fast. We're busy with other things. I had no idea how dreadful the problem is with overcrowded shelters. I had no idea. It's, it's catastrophic. If you, you know, read this article, I guess it's a horrible problem. Now, this woman is a 30-year-old grad from Harvard who grew up in Maine. She became a vegan at 17, and now her focus is on saving dogs. She does other things, too, by the way. She's very accomplished. But it just so happens that California has the most dogs and cats coming into shelters, more than 162,000 a year so far, and the highest non-live outcomes in the nation. Transporting dogs out of the area is part of the coping strategy for the shelters. They, They have to get rid of the animals. They have no place for them. Staff regularly works with rescue organizations in and out of the state to move dogs to areas with fewer strays and a greater demand for adoptions. There are places in this country where people want to buy dogs 
and places where people want to adopt dogs. And sometimes it's mixed up. But some areas, there's greater demand for adoption. So that's where to take all of these doggies who will not be picked up otherwise. Now, there are buses that take the bigger dogs in California to Washington State, you know, the big ones, the Huskies, the Shepherds, that are too big to fly in these little planes. And now there is a, a trend with uh, wealthy people who want to pay for chihuahuas to be flown to Connecticut. But the, gen, the general population of dogs, all kinds of dogs, they pretty much go ignored. But this woman, Janie, is doing her part. Now, the story behind this is, is that she is a pilot that needs to uh, log hours to keep her license active. And the trip costs her at least $300 in fuel and rental. But it's money she said she'd have to pay out anyway to get her flight hours she requires as a private pilot. They have to keep up on their hours. And she invented a company or developed a company which she calls Amelia Air, which is an all-volunteer, nonprofit animal rescue organization <clears throat> Excuse me, that she founded a couple of years ago. Actually, no, it's been four years, 2019. So private pilots need regular flight hours to maintain their licenses, so why not, she said, put all that time and expense toward a purposeful, important mission? Wonderful question. Amelia Air is small, but it operates on both coasts. With this lady in Los Angeles and her co-founder in Washington, D.C., they've rescued over 1,400 dogs, cats, and even a few ferrets since they began. 310 animals, mostly dogs, this year alone, more than half in California. In her words, this beautiful woman said, I believe we have a crisis of compassion. People have become immune to the suffering all around them. So rescuing animals is a great way to strengthen our compassion. It's probably easier to deal with a puppy than the homelessness crisis, but this helps strengthen our compassion muscle and when we do that, I believe it translates into other parts of life. I think she's an angel, a beautifully yeah. inspired and insightful woman who understands the problem of the failure of compassion. After all, if we had enough compassion, we wouldn't have all of these dogs in shelters anyway. And um, she's quite a beautiful person. So look up Amelia Eyre. If you can, give it some support, please. It's nonprofit volunteer. Wow, bless her. It's wonderful. We see the animals that she carries to safety. Oh, boy. Let's all do more. Let's follow her example. If we can't fly, we could do something else. But there it is. Lots of work to be done. Well, there's been some con conservation success in New England. I think this is a great story. The wild Atlantic salmon have had their most productive year in over a decade, with more than 1,500 salmon counted in the Penobscot River in Maine, which is home to America's largest run of salmon. Conservation groups have worked really hard to remove dams and to restore salmon in the area, and it looks like their efforts are finally paying off. And here's a story I think many of you will identify with. Someone claims that climate studies that aren't alarmist don't get published. Probably not much news to many of you. But Patrick Brown, the co-director of climate and energy at the Breakthrough Institute in California, has blown the whistle on an open secret about climate science. He says it's biased in favor of alarmism. Editors at prestigious journals seem to prefer publishing simplistic negative news and speculation about climate change. 
according to him. He said it is standard practice to calculate impacts for scary hypothetical future warming scenarios that strain credulity, he said. So after learning this lesson the hard way when his nuanced papers were rejected, he says they were nuanced. I don't know. I didn't read any. He adapted his latest to suit their apparent prejudices, and he said it was published. He said it's the equivalent of the old media adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Sensationalism sells. Well, a man named Matt, writing in the Telegraph agrees. He said, we have known for years that distinguished scientists who think that global warming is a problem but not a crisis get ostracized, canceled, or rejected by peer reviewers. Meanwhile, even the most trivial study that comes to an alarmist conclusion gets rushed into print and celebrated in the media. Junior scientists notice and tailor their texts accordingly. He says one of the biggest measurable impacts of increased carbon dioxide is global greening. The recent increase in green vegetation on the planet, equivalent to twice the area of the United States and counting, but as I discovered when I broke a story on this matter in 2015, pointing this out brings a hail of professorial hate down upon your head. I was even singled out in a Boston University press release for daring to suggest that more green vegetation might not be bad news. Brown says that there is a taboo against studying or even mentioning successes since they are thought to undermine the motivation for greenhouse gas emissions reductions. Well, there is no doubt. There is a tendency to indoctrinate. So there you have it. According to this article, and you must do your own research, the good news is that the world may be in better shape than we're being told. Maybe. Well, for centuries, people in the sunny, sunny Mediterranean would get up after long, leisurely meals and a glass of wine and take a walk, often to the town square to see their neighbors and to hang out and socialize. Walking is so much a part of that lifestyle, it is listed as a foundation of the uber-healthy Mediterranean diet. I'll bet some of you have tried that. Now you can add another reason to make a post-meal stroll as well. It may, and probably will, lower your blood sugar. That little walk doesn't need to take up a huge amount of your time either. They tell us, if you believe it, walking in as little as two to five minutes after a meal can do the trick. And this is according to a study excuse me, in the journal called Sports Medicine. Two to five minutes lowers the blood sugar after you eat. Wow. All right. Well, this is a, this is truly a starseed article if I ever saw one. I'm sharing it with you because it's very appropriate. What if everything really turns out okay? What if it did? What if it did? How many of you out there, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but how many of you spend any time thinking about that? Honestly. Is it a question you ever ask yourself? Do you have a hard time imagining a future that's bright, that's happy, that's fulfilling, that's better, that's safe, that's healthy, that's just, that's balanced, that's loving, that's free, that's at peace? 
where the earth is restored and we're living in harmony with it. How many of you can imagine that? Because it's kind of hard to do when the news is full of the catastrophic scenarios that could face humanity and that is happening right now everywhere. My goodness. But where are the heartening visions of the future that everyone is longing for? Well, there's a man called Rob who's on a mission to help us learn to turn our dreams into reality. In fact, to help us dream at all. Now, he tells us that he's seen the future and it's glorious. He tells us that we should see it too. We should smell it. We should hear it. He says there are children playing in the street again. There are deafening choruses at dawn. Birds singing. He said there are Cycle lanes for bicycles, chock full of traffic, a lot of people biking. He says there's happy shops galore, restaurants spilling on the streets, not a, not a no sign of homelessness, oodles of civic pride, beautiful uh, industry uh, industrial areas, no graffiti, no litter, crystal clean rivers rewilded by beavers. How beautiful is that? Community orchards filled with fruit, pollen on the breeze and bees to pollinate. No fumes, no smog, only fresh air. The year? He says this is 2030, only seven years away. Well, how did he get from here to there? Well, this writer and activist has a time machine. We'll whisper that, a time machine. (laughs) It's hidden in a secret laboratory under Totney's Castle in Devon, next to where he lives, along with a disbelief suspender and a cynicism overrider. At least that's the yarn he spins when he's invited to give talks on what he believes is a curiously underrated tool for tackling the climate and biodiversity crises. The underrated tool is our imaginations. Well, the part of the brain associated with imagination is this hippocampus, which is where our memories are stored. This may explain why fantasizing about the future, like recollecting past events, can be so evocative. Tapping into that is a powerful tool for driving positive change, he says, It gives people a hopeful vision to work towards, a longing which breeds creativity and action. He said curious things happen when this man gives talks. People come up to him afterwards and ask, with no hint of sarcasm or cynicism, they ask about the future, as though inquiring about a foreign city he might have returned from. And after a talk that he gave to people in the sports sector recently, someone asked him if there were any many repair cafes in 2030. He said, well, I can answer that in a minute, but I, I just want to say that I love how you suspended your disbelief to the point where you're asking me that, he says, grinning. The antidote, he says, underscores his po- point, which is that we need to fire up these imaginations with creative storytelling. He said it gives people a hopeful vision, a longing, which breeds creativity, which breeds action. He points out very accurately that civilization is built on stories, 
We tell them all the time, especially to children whom we encourage, at least we used to, to have active imaginations. Yet it's a trait that many people don't think is important enough to have into adulthood. He says this, going to 2030 should be a daily practice for everybody because every time you do it, it becomes stronger and clearer somehow. Well, easier said than done with the pervasive of negative news. He said, but we can only be as imaginative as the things that are in the stories we have heard or the places we have gone or the experiences we have had. Think about that. Think about that very hard. We could only be as imaginative as the things that are in the stories we have heard or the places we have gone or the experiences we have had. So when people ask me how they can be more imaginative about the future, I say, you need to change your social media feed. You need to change the way you think. You need to focus on the beautiful. You need to find good news. Now, why did he choose 2030? He said, it's just around the corner. There's nothing exotic about that. It's just a few years away. But that's the point. It's nearby. It's tangible. We can reach it. Most people today will be around for it. It's also the kind of time frame other epic-defining societal shifts happened in. It took 10 years from Rosa Parks refusing to give up a seat on the bus to the Civil Rights Act being passed in the United States. There are many examples of change happening in that kind of time window. He said it doesn't require a leap of imagination to visualize the future because it really is already here. It just hasn't caught up with us yet. He said he doesn't really use his time machine to experience change. He goes by train. He says he records the sounds that he, hear, that he hears on a collaboration that he's working with with another musician. What, why is he doing this? He says he's trying to uh, visualize what a bicycle rush hour stands, sounds like. Then he can visualize what a car-free neighborhood would sound like. He, he's imagining the silence and the beauty of a natural world. What would it sound like if beavers had rewilded our landscape? He says go to a farm and you can record what it sounds like when there's beavers in a pond. So, he said, surprisingly, his inspiration for his near-future work came from a T-shirt. It was worn by a woman at a Black Lives Matter protest in Washington, and it read, I've been to the future. We won. He said it gave me goosebumps. I thought, how different would our activism around climate change be if that was how we approached it? Quite. So, what does 2030 really look like then? In his words, it's not paradise, but the direction has changed. And then there's very real sense that we might actually do this. And people can see the benefits around them. It's the 2030 that resulted from us doing absolutely everything that we could have done. So, think from our visitor's website tonight, there's a wonderful quote. And I don't want to mess it up. It's something to the effect that unless you change your direction... You're going to end up where you're headed. And so he is talking about changing direction. So perfectly put by both our guest and this man. And in the words of Ralph Aldo Emerson, I'll leave you with this. So maybe we haven't done everything we could. Well, finish each day and be done with it. You've done what you could. You did what you did. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. 
Well, forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. So let us begin our day serenely and with too high a spirit to allow ourselves to be encumbered with our old nonsense. Beautiful. Thank you, Ralph Waldo Emerson. My heart goes out to each one of you. Much love, everybody. Y'all take good care. Be your beautiful, bright, shining selves. I love each and every one of you because we're doing what we came to do. We're giving love and we're making a difference, and it's all good. So I'll see you next time, Ariel. Thank you so much. Oh, and thank you, Anastasia. Great job, as always, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Yes, indeed. Good night, everybody. Okay, good night. Well, I am um, opening up your mic, Marina. This is our guest, Marina Petro. And, okay, well, I'm there very it goes. happy to be here. Hello, Marina. It's Hello. such a pleasure. Hello. Such a pleasure to have you with us. Um, and we had a, a really good chat the other day, and I'm I'm just so happy that you are um, sharing your wisdom and your work with our audience. So, um, just to kind of start off, would you, you know, tell us, you know, how did you how did you come into this world, and um, what was your life like? What was your childhood like and when did things start to change that led to this book well okay the book was kind of the the last thing that um that happened my early childhood i you know as i recall and i i always thought that everything that was happening to me um you know everyone else experienced because when when you think something's natural you just don't talk about it. It's like, you know, eating or sleeping. or. But ever since I was, a, you know, in early childhood, I recall being aware of like an inner voice telling me what a person was actually thinking when it didn't correspond with what they were saying. So I'd hear a person's words telling me something and this other, you know, impression voice would actually give me what they were actually thinking and feeling, which led me to begin to understand that we're not always, that that there's so much more to communication and people um, don't always tell the truth. And so Mm -hmm. it was, you know, the, the duality there. And so that was one of the things. The other thing was that I always saw, I was able to see when I looked at the uh, the written word or the alphabet, I would see each letter as a different color. So each letter of the alphabet has its own color. Each word has its own color. And I thought everyone experienced that as well. And no, I was wrong. <laughs> um, but what led, yeah, yeah. What led me to... Um, and, and part of that, I'm, I'm an artist, so I'm very uh, sensitive to color. And it is through color and the, and, and the human aura that I discovered my abilities, you know, my psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And that was like the last thing that I 
ever thought I'd be doing. The last thing that I wanted to do, <laughs> and this is kind of where destiny comes in. So I'm going to tell you a little story of what led me to do what I do, because that's one of the things I, you know, I recall you were going to, you know, you wanted um, uh, to ask me about. And it's also kind of like a story in destiny, when a person has, you know, a strong destiny or they're here to fulfill something, whether they know it or not, uh, things like this, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, begin to happen. So everything started kind of when I when I met my husband, uh, who was a very, very incredible um, uh, psychic, and he knew it. I didn't know I was. He knew he was. But just meeting him was, a, a, you know, just a story in um, destiny. So I was uh, very young, like 18 or 19. I had a job, believe it or not, as the secretary to the president of American Steel World. I had quit school. I had very good skills in um, uh, typing and stenography. And I would get, you know, if I was applying for a job, I'd get dressed up, high heels, all of that. I looked much older. And, yeah, I lied about my age back then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 18, no, they probably wouldn't wouldn't hire me. So I had this job. I was there for just, you know, a few weeks. And one morning I got up with full intention of going to my job. But I woke up late, so I decided, okay, I'm going to call for a taxi. You know, I'll get there sooner. So I got into the taxi. I gave him the address. And as we approached the, the, you know, the building where the company I worked in was, I told the, the cab driver to stop by the, um, it was like a little newspaper stand. I Never went back to that job. I went right to the newspaper stand, almost as if I was in a daze. Excuse me. I stood outside. I opened the Long Island Post. This was in Long Island City. I forget what the, it was the Long Island Post or the Long Island Journal, to the help wanted section. I looked down. I saw another job that said, um, secretary to the research director of the Marble X Corporation. And I was just, I knew I had to call them. I called them. I got an appointment for an interview very quickly. I think it was probably the next day. That's how they did things then. I lied about my age again because, you know, anyway. And I was hired on the spot. And this is where my husband was working. So... <laughs> I my own office. He was the lab technician right next to the laboratory was right next to my office and <clears throat> that's how we met. And so this, you know I I paid attention to that instantaneous guidance that came out of nowhere. Now, anyone else who'd be afraid of losing a job or not getting another job would never do something like this. But anyway, I'm an Aries, so I take risks. But, <laughs> and, yeah. and that, 
that was how I met him. Um, and and so there's, you know, a lot that happened in between. We had three children. Um, and he left the work he was doing. We, we had um, a flower shop at that time. And he left the flower shop. And we had moved up to Connecticut at that particular, you know, um, at that time. This was years that have gone by. And he decided he was going to go into, um, he was going to just do psychic readings, period, and teach. And that's what he began to do. And he had a, you know, very good reputation. I had absolutely no interest in doing anything like that myself. All I wanted to do, you know, I had to take care of the children, my art, all of that. And um, one day, one of, he, used, he also trained people um, and helped them develop their intuitive abilities. And several of these people went on, and they're still doing it, you know, to, to do this work professionally as, as um, you know, as psychic readers. And so, anyway, one of them um, wanted me to come down to our New York office one night when they were going to be doing mini readings for people. And she said, Marina, why don't you um, just, like, paint the colors that you see around people? So, you know, she knew I saw color around people and I was so sensitive to color. So I thought, oh, that sounds like fun, and I, I agreed to do that. I went down. I had my little um, acrylic canvas pad. I had a, some acrylic paint, and the first person came in. I didn't, um, we didn't have, have any real conversation. I didn't know anything about her, I, you know, how's the weather and all of that. And then I went, I told her I was going to be painting her colors, and I didn't even know what these colors meant at that at that point. And so I began to paint, and it was kind of, it was nice, but we weren't talking. You know, we were silent, and that is one of the major keys as far as developing and and um, you know paying attention to that inner those inner impressions, that inner voice, whatever you want to call it. So here I was quiet, I'm painting, and out of the blue, I hear, tell you just very directly, tell her whatever it was, something about her job. And I said, absolutely not, in my mind, you know. And this voice kind of continued, it just wouldn't stop, tell her this. And I was almost, I, I felt compelled at that point to just start to speak and tell her what I was, you know, the, the impressions I was getting. And long story short, she was able to relate to everything I told her. I did look into the future. Now, these were short readings, but I did look into the future, of course. We didn't know what the future was going to bring, but I was able to see past, present, future. Um, it was a hundred percent opening in like five minutes. 
So that is how I discovered my abilities. Wow. People start, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it happened. I didn't, I was not um, uh, in my husband's classes because I was home at, in the evening. We worked, you know, we had a company, Awareness Incorporated, um, and I'd be home with the children at night while he was teaching, and I didn't want to even be in the classes. I, you know, it, it just wasn't, I wanted to paint. That's <laughs> to do, and it's very difficult with three little kids around. You know, I mean, they were they were yeah. close in age, small, and you know, so I, you know, I'd grab a few minutes here and there when I could. But regardless, that's how I developed, and people started. You know, they heard about me. They started, you know, telling people. Now, for the first two years, I believed that I needed to paint. You know, in order for this these impressions to begin, and um, uh, I discovered that that wasn't true and that things were actually much easier if I just sat there and did the reading. I don't use cards or anything. It's just a pure psychic intuitive ability. I close my eyes and, you know, the impressions uh, begin. So anyway, that's how... That's how I'm doing what I'm doing. So then, um, talk about oh. the 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 when you had explosions of light uh, in your in your yeah. body. Was that yeah, that, same time? that was happening? That was happening. Um, I'd be just you know like lying lying in bed or something and. Energies like, and I could, I could, I would experience it as intense light, but very, very powerful energies going up my spine, exploding in my head. You know, it didn't happen very often, but it happened. And um, so, but that was not part of, you know, my my developing my ability, my psychic abilities. That they came, that came first. This experience with the light and the energy <clears throat> came um, afterward. And um, then as far as the book, I know you wanted to know um, about the book and how that came about. That came about, again, very subtly. I would, um, uh, and usually in the morning, I would get, you know, if I'd be up, I'd be having my coffee or something, and... I would I would receive like an intuitive flash of some you know incredible insight, and so I was afraid to to not be able to remember the insight. So I, I would I would write it down, and as I started writing down the initial impression, I more and more and more words would come, and I'd finish like a whole page you know of of um, a page or two of writing. And this writing I did, you know, wasn't on a typewriter, was not on a computer. I didn't even have a computer then. And um, so so that's how they came about. They came out, you know, I, I'm, that's just how they came about. Whenever, and it wasn't every morning, it was like whenever, you know, these incredible insights would come to me, I, you know, 
I have to write them so I wouldn't forget and then, you know, the whole chapter or whatever, you know, well, you, you read the book and it's just, you know, each chapter is like a page or two. They're very short. And those were the transmissions. So um, that's how that came about. From 19, uh, it began in 1986, and the last one I completed, the last one that went in the book, I completed in 1991 and didn't do much with it. Um, At that time, I feel like I'm talking so much here. Uh, That's okay. (laughs) The only one talking. That's okay. (laughs) That's all right. At that time, time, um, I typed everything out in the context of like, you know, sort of a book on eight and a half by 11 paper. And uh, two of my clients um, had been um, worked for publishers. They were editors, you know, in publishing companies. And so I gave it to them to read, and they just they thought it was incredible. Uh, they were not, uh, you know, working at the publishers at that time. They had already left, you know, left the jobs there. I think they retired. Um, but they they urged me to get it published. So I, you know, I sent it out to publishing. It was much different in those days. I sent it out to a couple of publishing companies. It was rejected. And then I just kind of put it in the closet. And I didn't want to do anything more with it because I was still just wanting to paint when I had the time to paint. So... um so that was that for the longest time. And about, I don't know, maybe two years ago, I don't even remember. Uh, time is always something that I, I have a hard time remembering. It goes so fast. But yeah. um, I, I, so I had this typed version of it. And my, my you know, this force of light it, that, that, you know, was giving me the transmissions. The book is called The Force of Light. So anyway, this this kind of group of incredible, you know, intelligence, I don't even know what to call it, um, came to me out of the blue again because they, and they said, continue to do what you were born to do and we will let you live. So anyone getting that message, (laughs) you've got to really, oh, my God. You know, I immediately knew what I was born to do. It was, you know, the the development, and only because I never sought it. You know, the psychic world and, the you know, the psychic readings and all that. I never even wanted to do it, and I still have a hard time with that. I really do, because I still, you know, at times really rather be doing something else. Sorry, everybody. It's not a picnic, (laughs) you know. Uh, And and, um, so, yeah, so I was born to do that because of the way everything happened. The destiny, meeting my husband, being in in that world. Um, And my art, I did not go to art school. My art is, you know, pretty much just intuitively developed, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew that was also something I was born to do. And those two things. And when I told um, my daughters that I got this message, and, and you know what it was, even if I became a millionaire, I would still have to do readings. I can't retire. I want to live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know we all go at a certain point, but this was like, you stop and you're going to go quicker. So I just don't, you know, boy, I want to be here. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. So um, what was I? I lost my train of thought at that at that so, time. So you published the book? Oh, and yeah. So, you know, I tell my daughters, but I I didn't consider that as um, something I was born to do. I didn't even think about that. But one of my daughters um, said, Mom, they meant the book? I said, no, 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 please, no. I cannot take the time. I don't want to publish anything, blah, 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 blah. So you can tell I'm resistant. I'm not one of these people that it's all just, you know, light and love and I love what I'm doing and no, I'm I'm a human being. <laughs> there are times I'd rather really be doing other things. But so I said no, but I was um uh looking for something uh and I I didn't even know where this book was because I had moved from, you know, my house into this other this other um place and So I was looking for something in the closet, and shortly after she asked me that question, and the book just falls out right in front of me. And I said, (laughs) oh, no. (laughs) But, you know, I threw myself into it. I got it self-published. And there's enough. I'm, I'm like this excellent speller. I used to, you know, win spelling bees when I was in school and things like that. And that's why I got these good secretarial jobs because, I, you know, my, my skills were excellent. I could take stenography like 120 words a minute. I could type at 100 words a minute, you know, perfectly. So I was, you know, those were my skills. And um, so I threw myself into it. I retyped it in the format it should be in for self-publishing. I did all that. I developed. I I designed the book cover, um, and I got it published. But what when I said about the spelling, I um, proofread it a few times. I thought I got every misspelled word, <laughs> but. But I didn't. So anyone reading the book is going to see some of the, you know, little misspelled words here and there. But anyway, so well, that that's my change. That story. doesn't change that the meaning is... or the message. No, no, that's not just, at all. That's just your your Aries perfectionism coming through there. <laughs> so, oh, God. Um, I would like to share some of your transmissions with our audience, and oh, that um, would be wonderful. Yeah, and and. Would would you like to uh, you know choose one at random, or would you like me to do it? You choose it at random. Yeah, you choose it at random. 
And and okay. I have to tell the audience, you know, I I have my book on my coffee table, and every once in a while, I'll just open it up, you know, to a page, and the thought is, oh my God, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. First time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really amazing, and so. Uh, I probably get, and I didn't write it. You know, this was this was something that came through me. You know, in this, this high level of uh, insight, but I I couldn't write anything like that on my own. It's just my, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and Lavendar has done the has has done experienced that kind of thing as well. So, I mean, just before the show, um, I kind of got quiet for a minute, flipped through um, to to just see what, you know, what page the book opened up to. And i got to tell you, I did the same thing when I called Lavendar and I said, oh, this book is wonderful. It was, you know, a transmission, and I told her kind of the back story. And I flipped through the book, and I opened it up, and read to her, and she's like, oh, that is so right on, right on. I mean, it's it's timeless and relevant at the same time. And earlier, when I did the same thing, um, you know, flipped through the book, I opened up to the same page again. Oh, interesting. Just randomly. So that just kind of makes me think that this is what we need to share with the audience. Oh, good, and, good. And the um, the beings or that you that that uh, transmitted this to you, um, as you said, and um, was said on your website that they were emissaries from the universal source. Uh, I, I I don't know if I'm emissaries, using the right words. Emissaries from the divine. From the divine source, right? So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So and so it was a a a collective, but yet a single intent. Yes, that's the word, collective. But okay, not, there's no names. You know, no one introduces themselves. It's just this consciousness. But right. my sense, my sense, is that there are five of them, and they are male. Like it or not, <laughs> so I do. But you know, <laughs> okay, oh, God. yeah. But that—that's always been. That's always been the, you know, the sense. Even when in early childhood, you know, um, mm-hmm. when I was hearing, you know, like the inner voices and all of that, the inner voice. So. Okay. So. This uh, transmission is um, from September 2nd, 1990, and I mean, you could have written this yesterday. It is so relevant, so that's why I say this is timeless wisdom. We are here. We wish you to be aware of the struggles you will all be experiencing in this current time. There has been a major shifting of energies affecting your planet. 
old encrusted ideas and forms are now being shattered and challenged. This applies to your earth itself, your bodies, and your emotional mental systems. It is akin to volcanic activity and eruption. Natural and unseen forces are at work. All that has become crystallized and unmoving will be shattered to make way for the new and revolutionary changes necessary to bring your planet and its beings to a higher state of evolution. You will experience more challenging situations from internal and external origins that will relentlessly force you to become acutely aware of what no longer serves your existence in a forward-moving, creative way. All that is not serving your lives or your planet in a positive way will be magnified, shattered, and stripped away. Chaos is in the wind. The breath of God is sweeping across all creation in a final attempt to awaken life forms to its greater will. The forces of radical destruction and reconstruction are present. Do not resist by attempting to cling to what no longer serves you or enslaves your spirit. The more you resist, the more you cling to your false securities, the greater the tension will mount and the greater the chaos will result. This is the time for enforced awareness and experiences. The breath of God is sweeping away all that does not serve its creation. The reaping of your actions and reactions, both positive and negative, will be magnified. The result of your actions and creations motivated by fear, clinging, greed, control, inertia, manipulation for self-serving ends will fall in on themselves and be destroyed. Your actions and reactions motivated by discriminating wisdom for the highest good will flourish. All will reap their harvest through the unexpected, the unpredictable. This being the action of karma condensing its activity in time and space. You see, you are all here inherently as creators to further the creation through the will of God, each in your own unique ways. By the rapid magnification of karma, which is creative law, you will have greater opportunity to awaken to the knowledge of your essence as create creators of your personal existence and co-creators in the fate of your planet. Nothing is unfair. Nothing is unjust. All life is under the karmic law of cause and effect. Not one of you are victims of anything. All in your life, all in your world, is the result of the entirety of your incarnations, your thoughts, your intentions and actions. You have chosen and magnetized into your current existences by karmic law. Many souls will be leaving the planet more suddenly and unexpectedly the moment their states of evolution have reached the point of either deadlock, where no further creative activity or realizations are possible, or those who have reached self-realization as creators and choose to leave for a future incarnation of greater service, 
or to guide from the non-physical dimensions or to allow entry for another soul struggling for the opportunity of physical existence and enlightenment. Vast numbers of souls are awaiting entry. The next five years will bring the births of the souls of the extremes. The highest and the lowest will be incarnating into your earth for the final battle. Never ever before have the extremes of light and dark been present in this way at any one time in history. This is truly the most opportune time for conscious enlightenment and completion. Be aware. Be relentlessly and brutally honest with yourselves. Master your darker natures. Master the art of benevolent choice. Remain harmless. Become powerful. Express yourselves. Master the art of flexibility. Adapt moment to moment. Remain simple. Stay clear and listen for the voice of God within you. <laughs> that is so, so on time, on point, relevant. Um, and thank you so much for <laughs> for that box that fell out in your closet to like, oh get you get you to publish it. I mean, listening to you read it, actually hearing you speak those words, I'm getting chills like it's the first time I'm hearing it. It's, it's amazing. It, and it's it, it really calm while I'm sitting here. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, and every, I mean, every time I've opened the book, um, I get exactly what I needed at that moment. So it's a really good, and, and um, you know, other people that I know that have the book, um, especially I'd like to say thank you to our friend Clive in England, oh, Clive. Who, yeah. Who, yeah. Dis- who discovered your work and, and shared it with me and, and, and sent your book to me, nicely autographed, and... Um, so, thank you, Clive. Yes, and I know thank that, you, Clive, if you're listening. But I, I have oh, he quick, will be. I have a Go quick ahead. story about um, how how we came to to be connected. And yes, it was from through Clive. But shortly before that, I'm thinking, you know, this book is it's a powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I called, like, my, you know, my guides, whatever you want to call them, the force of light. And I said, listen, you guys, I am not going to publicize this book. I cannot do it. I'm, I have, you know, I, I just cannot do it. I don't want to do it. If you want it to, to go somewhere, if you want it to be, you know, then you better do something about it because I'm not going to. I did my job. I got it published. That's my commitment. I did it. I'm finished. I mean, this is <laughs> actually what I told them. And so here's Clive, who from England somehow found my Etsy shop and purchased some cards, my angel greeting cards. And 
then he noticed I had this book, and that's how that's how this all came about. Mm-hmm. He read the book, he sent it to you, and here I am on the air, you know. And this is um, this is how it came to be after I had that conversation with you know the guys up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and and uh, a perfect timing with the sun at galactic degree. Um, in the sign of service. So um, everything just fell into place so synchronistically. Um, And I want to make sure that I mention again um, that this book, this this precious book, is on Amazon. Uh, If you type in um, Marina Petro or um, A Force of Light, I got right to it. It's right there on Amazon. And uh, highly, highly recommend it. It is such a helpful um, and hopeful book. So um, uh, how are you you doing uh, on time? Because I know you said you wanted to... um, Oh, yeah, I'm I'm okay for a little while longer. I'm I'm okay. not an evening person. I'm a morning person. I'm up at like five in the morning. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Well, yeah, we I do. we um, we actually have a caller that has a, a a question and a general question because we don't we don't do you know readings sure, publicly. Sure. So um, this uh, you will be talking to Christy, and she has a question. How do you know if you have intuitive abilities? So let me get the mic open. Hello, how Hi, are you? Hi, Christy. Hi, thanks for Hi, calling in. Welcome to the show. Um, Thank Marina, you. Marina, meet Christy and go ahead with your question. Hi, Marina. I was just curious because my daughter and I are learning things um, as we go along here, and we were wondering how do you know if you are uh, intuitive or empathic or like anything, I guess. Okay. Well, one of it, you know, let me let me explain one thing. The way I developed, which was so spontaneous, gave me the unusual opportunity to actually understand what happened that evening and what happened were the three keys to developing because I teach um Oh, my website, Marina. I have the internet. Yeah. Okay. Your your phone cut out a little bit. So would you please repeat what you just said? Thank you. Oh, where where did it cut out? After you said website. The three keys. The three keys. Okay. The three. Yeah. Um. Um. Know what you want to know about. Um. And hold on a second, because. My phone might be, um, my phone might not, let me, let me see if I can get this other phone and turn it on because it might, all right, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Hello? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let me put this other. I'm sorry for that screech. Um, oh, good. <laughs> hold on just a minute. Hold on. 
Um, okay, so what what I discovered from you know um, how I developed um, my intuition because it was it happened so quickly. I knew it's like silence is very important, knowing what you want to know about, focusing your attention on what you want to know about without any preconceived ideas and just staying open to the insights that will come. So you can ask the question, and just oh, like open up, be quiet, open up, try to just calm your mind and not have any pre-impression. When you ask the question mentally to, let's say, your higher self or the universe or whatever you want to call it, there's an instant response that comes back. But there is... Um, um, I hate to, to, you know, anyway, I have an intuition workout workshop on video. They're like, you know, part one and part two, Um, which that's one of the ways to develop your intuition. But Mm -hmm. if you, you know, intuition comes very subtly. It's very subtle. And you have to pay attention to those impressions. Now, there are... You know, you can have, um, uh, you know, if you meet a new person, you usually get, you know, a feeling about them. Mm -hmm. And that is usually, usually, um, you know, let's say the the underlying truth about them. But it's very, anyway. And then you're up against everybody, like what happened to me in early early childhood, that inner voice telling me what a person was actually thinking when it didn't correspond with what they were saying. So you pay attention to your first impressions, but it's very important to, to know that your first impression is usually and very often the one that you reject. Because it comes in, intuition comes in so quickly. It's like lightning fast. And then, you know, there's there's always that second impression that comes in, and that's where it gets confusing. You know, our mind can confuse mm-hmm. us terribly. But um, there are, um, uh, you know, ways to develop your intuition. I, I, I've taught people, and they've gone on to become professional so okay interesting okay so but if you go question. to my website um, marinapetro.com um, okay see, you know stuff on the front page there oh awesome that'll be helpful I think for the both but, of but, but the thing too is you know when you get an impression and because your intuition is part of your what why do we have intuition it's part of our survival instinct it is one and the same with our survival instincts, and most people don't realize that. So, so you know, 
you know, like you're in, you're, you know, out in the forest or out wherever, you know, hunting, and you're, you know, you have to be very still in that stillness, mm-hmm. in that quiet, um, sensing what's around you. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a very loud life, you know, it's very loud. And yeah. Um, yeah. intuition comes in, you know, in silence. I get it. I get it. So, like, take for instance, like, if I... I would say if the interest is there, the ability is also there to refine it. Okay. Okay. So, like, if I take for instance, is this the same thing as intuition? Like, if I have some problem that, or something that just, like, a few days later, I can't seem to let it go, not because I'm thinking about it, it just keeps on popping up and popping up and I'm not thinking about that situation, does that mean I should follow what my gut's telling me because it just keeps on popping up out of nowhere and I can't let it go? Or is it just me holding on to something that I should be letting go? Well, it's something that you might want to look into more. There's a reason something keeps coming up. Something isn't isn't resolved with whatever that situation is. Okay, so it's like intuition then, right? I mean, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, because some things I can't let go, and then I it, I know then I know there's something wrong, but I'm just like maybe I'm just thinking there is, but then other things it doesn't even bother me like a couple of days later, and I'm okay with it, and it doesn't pop back up for no reason, and and you know I guess you know what I mean. <laughs> well, you might want to when it keeps popping up, I would sit down, get very quiet, mm-hmm. and ask what what do I need to know with regard to this situation. And just be quiet. Go into like a, a, a brief meditative state mm-hmm. and just ask that question, what do I need to know about this? Okay. And okay. you may get an answer. You may get an answer or an impression then, but, you know, you might get a very clear impression, you know, three days later that answers everything about the situation. So you have I to, like, see. want to know, yeah, the desire to to know, the desire for the insight. Okay. okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Christy. Thank you. Can I stay in the line? Oh, sure you can. What was um, okay. Yeah, I and mean, I was, I was going to close your mic, though. You can, you're welcome to oh, stay yeah, on yeah. the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank yeah, you. Yes, continue. Okay. Thank you. Um, so um, I will recommend that people go to your website because you offer a lot. I mean, the the, the painting, uh, the artwork you do is intuitively inspired and layers and layers of, of impressions I got from that. You also have a video course for intuitive development, and yes. you also you also teach painting well i teach or was teaching um into you know uh covid just kind of put a, a you know a stop on so many things here yeah but, um, yeah i teach intuitive painting yeah intuitive painting mm-hmm. it's, it's wonderful very freeing it's incredible um i'm not quite sure i haven't made a decision about what I, what i'm going to do uh, yet some of the play, you know, 
I love doing it in person. It's very difficult to do online, you know, even with the Zoom, mm-hmm. the intuitive painting. It's very difficult. But um, Right. But Right. Anyway, and so um you you live in upstate New York? Yeah, Saratoga Springs, near Saratoga. Yeah. Okay, so anybody listening that's that's in that area, if you would like um, uh, to work in person with Marina, um, that would be good. Or well, uh, I, I, at this at this point, though, I'm not seeing people in person. I've got clientele all over the world. Um, so, but you know, I'm I'm doing primarily, at least you know, at this particular juncture. Um, primarily phone sessions. Okay. Okay. For, for, um, yeah, because yeah, I was thinking about what you said about the artwork uh, doesn't work online. But your your training, your counseling, um, the, all of that is on your website, as well as the um, intuitive development course, uh, which is uh, videos that you download, uh, like an online class. For individuals. Yeah, what the, what they would, yeah, yeah. I would send the um, the links to the videos. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds wonderful, and uh, I, I'm I'm just so so grateful that you agreed to come and and do the show tonight uh, because I've just so enjoyed your book and the way it works. You know, I mean, you just open up to a page. And, you know, that's what you needed to hear. It's so yeah, relevant. Yeah. It's so relevant. And, and the, it, the wisdom is timeless. That's how it's working for me, too. And I, and I wrote it. So, right. You know, that, that's the, the well, amazing piece with this. That's the amazing piece. Yeah. But, well, and I'm as you very, told me earlier, you transcribed it. Yeah. 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 Well, it is just it's been a pleasure to to meet you. I really enjoyed our chat the other day. And oh, I uh, did too, very much so. Uh and once again, um if you go on Amazon, uh you can type in Marina Petro P E T R O or A Force of Light and you will find her book. So I want to thank you, Marina, for sharing your wisdom and your work with our audience tonight. And I will look forward to um, connecting with you again. Yes, so will I. So will I. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, you're quite welcome. And, you know, we'll just get, get that word out there. Okay, well, thanks so much. You are so thank, welcome. Thank you, everybody who listened in. Oh, well, um, is is there a way to – there's contact on your website if someone wanted to, you know, set up something or even just to email you, that's on oh, your sure. website. Oh, sure. Okay. I'm easy to find. Or even okay. just put my yeah, – yeah, just Google my name. Okay. But my website is my name and everything's there. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, right. Marina. Big, oh, big Ariel, hugs to thank you. you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we will be back uh, two weeks from tonight, and I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until the next time,
just remember to keep compassion in your heart along with gratitude. Until next time, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 